guess, a, a peculiar passage of Scripture in Revelation 2. Thyatira is one of the seven churches that are highlighted in this two or three chapter section of Revelation. And it's just a revelation of the condition of various churches. And certainly we can see ourselves meandering through these models or these these formats of, of, of struggles that these churches are embracing. There's the good listed and there's the bad listed. And we can always find ourselves at some point in the midst of this, uh, seeing how we measure up and seeing the things that maybe God would like for us to change in order to become more focused upon his agenda. And so this church of Thyatira uh, gives us a very interesting message. Of course, we have to focus on the first aspect of it, which is a, a, a praise and an adoration, is that when it comes to certain things that we are, we're measuring up pretty well. We know that when it comes to, to love and service and, um, uh, let me see, make sure I don't miss any of these, your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, that we are now doing more than we did at first. We're improving in certain areas of our lives. But yet there's one thing that, that pops up from time to time. It's, it's not a constant because every time a, a little issue confronts us, then we, we, we learn how to combat it and we learn how to, uh, to, to dispense of it. And then we get content and then years later it may show itself again. And this is one of those issues that uh, I think is very important for us to focus on. I want to read this little quote to you. It's, it's something you've heard before. I actually have heard it attributed to several uh, famous people throughout the years. But I went to the website that says these are the accurate people who gave this accurate quote. And so I want you to think about this. This is like a, an undercurrent of what, what I believe we're supposed to talk about today. I don't know if you've heard of John Stuart Mill, but in 1867 he said these words. Bad men need no thing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. So in order for the agenda of bad men to come to full circle, the only thing they need is for good men to stand by and do nothing. That's what I want us to talk about today. You see, when Jesus is speaking these words to this church, he's praising them for the things they do well, but he's also reminding us, don't get too full of yourself. Because just as well as we can run a marathon today, three months later, we could be so out of shape that we can't even pick up the remote control. Likewise, spiritually, it's possible that you could be an amazing, service-minded, God-fearing People loving believer today, and then three months from now, you could be so self centered that you're nobody's good. So, we're not supposed to focus on those, but we're supposed to focus on the nevertheless. And in the nevertheless, and in a verse, uh, I can't read, I don't have my glasses. Is that verse 20? I left them on my desk. Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. And remember, he's talking about the whole church community. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. You tolerate her. Now, in the Greek, the word tolerate can also be um, translated as you allow or you permit. 
But what it really is saying is, is that you basically allow this person to do whatever they want and you say nothing. It's, it's kind of really the, the most context that we can relate to is this, is when you have teenagers or, or other children who you just allow them to do whatever because it's not worth the ruckus, right? We were in a restaurant yesterday and there was a boy that probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old, absolutely screaming at the top of his lungs, and then all of a sudden shuts off just like a light switch. And Paige looks at me and says, I guess he got what he wanted. This boy was making a scene to get what he wants. And so the parents allowed the behavior, permitted it, and did nothing about it to squelch it. The boy has learned that to get my way, all I have to do is hit a certain pitch. Well, the funny thing is, is that we can all relate to that, but also we can also understand that in this world, that's really indicative all across the board. And so what what Jesus is saying to the church of Thyatira is this, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, we have to, we understand what tolerate means, but now we have to understand what exactly is it that the church is tolerating? Well, he goes on to say, first, she calls herself a prophetess. So just by name alone, she is out of bounds. God has not called her a prophetess. God has not ordained her a prophetess. God has not called her into that capacity. She is self-proclaimed. So she is going into the church of believers, the Christian church, and she is basically modeling herself as something she isn't. And the people are allowing her to be a prophetess. And how would they do that? By listening to what she has to say, embracing what she has to say as truth, and then living accordingly. Here's a couple examples of what she's teaching By teaching, she misleads my servants in two areas, sexual immorality and also in eating food, sacrificed idols. Now, I really didn't understand this very well, so of course I had to dig into this a little bit, and this is what I found. In the early church, one of the main issues was you had the Jewish church, the Jewish believers, particularly talking about the ones who have embraced the teaching of Jesus and are, are, are Jewish converts. And then you have the non-Jewish converts, the Gentiles. And so the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Gentiles naturally would think, well, we're better than you because we're not Jews. We didn't kill Jesus, right? And the Jews would think, well, we're better than you guys because Jesus was Jewish. And so what Paul had to wrestle with was how do I get these two churches who are identical with just one minor difference, how can I get them to be the church corporate and to be loving to each other? And so the issue came up that the Jews believe that Gentiles need to be circumcised and to become Jewish so they can be true believers. Well, the Gentiles thought, no, we don't need to be circumcised. You need to become like us. You need to abandon the Jewish traditions and come to join us. And so luckily, I, I say luckily, they decided that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. That's a victory for men everywhere, right? But uh, the point is that in order for a Gentile to still be in fellowship with the Jews, the Jewish believers, 
they still had to prohibit themselves from certain behaviors and acts that would defile them because Jews still, even though they're Christian now, they still cannot intermingle with those who could ruin or taint their spirituality. And so in this case, it's mentioned two things. Sexual immorality defiles the believer inwardly in our hearts. It defiles us. And when we eat food that has been sacrificed to idols, that defiles us externally. And so we cannot eat food sacrificed to idols, even though Paul made it very clear. It doesn't hurt us spiritually, but it does hurt our relationship to the Jewish community. So in other words, he would say, stay away from sexual immorality because of how it defiles your heart and stay away from the food sacrificed to idol because it hurts our witness to the Jewish church. And so what Jezebel's doing is she's coming in here and she's tempting and teaching and teasing the people to do whatever you want. Who cares about the Jews? Just do whatever feels good. Just do whatever you want to do. And so these new believers were becoming defiled inwardly and externally, which means they were drifting further and further away from God. But here's the problem. Not so much that that was going on, Because this prophetess could not be a true believer. But the problem is, is that everybody in the church community is tolerating the behavior, tolerating the teaching. And this is causing a lot of problems in that church. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel. Now... He goes on to say, I have given her time to repent, but she is unwilling. She will not repent. Basically, what that is indicative of is arrogance and also callousness spiritually. It's about pride. Now, what we need to understand from this pericope is a couple things. One is there's a Jezebel in the Old Testament mentioned in relations to the prophet Elijah. And now we have in the New Testament another woman who goes by the name of Jezebel who also has certain characteristics and behaviors about herself. What we need to understand is it is two different people, but the same spirit that is at work inside of them. Now, this is the thing I've been trying to preach for many years, and it's hard. It's hard because it feels like you're giving people a a way out. But the teaching is this. People are not the problem. The problem is the problem. So when Scott Green calls me a no good whatever, the problem is not that he and I have an issue. The problem is that there's an issue between us that upsets him or makes him angry. And so he needs to come to understand that this is not me, that there's something I did that's a problem, and we need to deal with what I did so that that doesn't happen again. Does that make sense? And so basically, if I were to, let's say I tell an inappropriate joke and you all look at me like he should never have said that, then you need to look at me and understand, no, we know his heart. He didn't do this on purpose. He didn't do this because, because he's evil or anything. He made a mistake. So let's deal with the mistake and still love the person. So what that develops into biblically is this is that we learn to love the sinner, but we hate the sin. 
We learn to love the sinner and, and, and to accept them as a person who's human and lives in the flesh just like we do. A person who can make mistakes just like I can. A person who may be trying to do their best but yet are going to struggle just like we do. And so what we understand from Scripture is, is that there's a lot of spirits in this world, demonic spirits, that influence the behavior of good people. It's just part of reality. And, and so I know that because there's these spirits in the world that they could, they could put words in your mouth that are not yours. They could cause you to do something which really is not you. I know, I know devoted Christians who know their Bible have been smoking marijuana for 20 years. I know people who are good Christian but have an alcohol problem. I know people who are really, really, I, I would consider them solid Christians, but yet they use language that I would never want spoken around my kids, even though they're adults now. You see, we as Christians are saved, we're going to heaven, but yet we're still under the influence of these spirits in this world, and our behaviors can lead us down paths we don't necessarily want to go, causing us to do things we really shouldn't be doing. But here's the problem. We know that this person having this spirit may be doing certain things in the church, but that doesn't give them a free license to do whatever they want. We still have an obligation to stand up against it and say, this is not tolerated. This is not going to be tolerated. In regards to Jezebel, we need to understand who exactly she is. And so I encourage you to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19 for a minute. And we're going to look at some of the attributes of Jezebel. She's been around a long time. She's been causing a lot of problems in a lot of people's lives for years. Some of the things we'll learn, and also in 2 Kings chapter 9, you can read more. But one of the interesting things we need to know about Jezebel is that she has a very strong, controlling behavior. And you may have known people before who are very controlling. And we've even said from the mental health field that controlling people are typically wounded people. But there are a lot of controlling people in the world. And, and so just because they're wounded doesn't give them a, a pass to continue to be controlling, right? And, and so a controlling person, I don't know if you know any people that are controlling. I've known a few in my past. And a controlling person is one who... Who, who wants to control where you are at all times. They don't want you having that autonomy to make those decisions because they don't trust you. They're people who, who monitor every dime that you spend because they're afraid that you might use that money to do something you have no business being done, right, or doing. And so controlling people also will control your friendships. They'll control when you go to bed and when you get up, what you eat, how many calories you can have. Controlling people do the, these kinds of things. And so what we learn from Scripture is, is that if you know a controlling person or if you may be a controlling person, there's a very good chance there's a Jezebel spirit at work in them. They could be under that influence. Because controlling behaviors doesn't come from God. Now, the reason that Jezebel was controlling are for a couple things that also give us a good insight into the type of person she was. Jezebel's father was a king who rejected her. 
sold her into marriage to King Ahab, the Jewish uh, king at that time. She didn't want to be married to Ahab, but he sold her anyway. He rejected her. Her mother was extremely controlling, extremely controlling. When you have a rejection from your father and a controlling mother, the chances are you're going to become a controlling person. And she certainly did. Now, also understand that while she was uh, living under her mom and dad's rule in, in uh, Tyre and Sidon to the north and Lebanon today, that they were very big into um, idolatry and pagan worship. And so she brought this religion into J- Jerusalem or into Israel, and she taught these things to Ahab. But remember, she was also very controlling, and so she would basically make Ahab do certain things and accept certain things that he had no business doing or accepting. Now, we have to understand something else about the Jezebel spirit is that the Jezebel spirit works best when there is a Ahab spirit going alongside. Ahab, the king, was a very successful king. He, he conquered all kinds of land. But the thing about Ahab was is that he was very passive. He was very non-confrontational. He really was kind of wimpy in his own demeanor, and he just didn't like to fight. I mean, you know, one-on-one. And you know people like that. I've been like that most of my life. I would say there's been many times I've had an Ahab spirit where I just don't want to argue. I just want, just do whatever you want, but don't argue with me, right? And so an Ahab spirit attracts a Jezebel spirit because she's like, I can manipulate him. I can control him. I can do whatever I want in him or through him, and I can reap the benefits of whatever he has. I can talk him into anything. And so the Ahab spirit, you know, wakes up with this beautiful rose of a woman one day, and then one day wakes up and says, oh my gosh, it's the devil. (laughs) Not that you all can relate to that. But anyway... The Jezebel spirit is um, extremely manipulative, extremely deceptive, extremely self-focused, extremely evil. In First Kings, Kings 19, we understand that this comes right on the heels of Elijah going to Mount Carmel where he fought 850 Baal and Asherah prophets, and after he defeated them, had them all killed On that place, on that mountain. Ahab stood by because, remember, he is non-confrontational. He stood there and watched 850 of his pastors being killed, and he did and said nothing. But what he did do was he notified his wife. And he says, Jezebel, you would not guess what happened. This man of God came up here and killed every one of our prophets. And she said, the heck you say? The heck you say? And so she made this little pronouncement. It went something like this. By this time tomorrow, if his life is not like one of them, then whatever. What I forget how she said it. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Jezebel kicked into Jezebel mode. Ahab just stood by and he says, oh boy, you've done it now. My wife's going to open up a can on you. And so she spoke these words. All she did was spoke them. And Elijah, the same prophet who just 
kicked the tails of 850 Baal and Asherah prophets, tucked his tail and ran and fled. The Jezebel spirit provokes fear in people. Now remember, it's not the person who evokes the fear. It's the spirit inside of the person that makes people afraid. We always have to remind ourselves, fear does not come from God ever. It comes from the devil. Fear comes from evil spirits. And when there is a spirit near, it will do all it can to provoke fear in you. And when Jezebel spoke, Elijah believed what she said, and he ran for his life, scared to death. This is why a lot of people don't want to confront a person that has a Jezebel spirit, because it elicits fear in us, and in the presence of that fear, we just shut down. Why do we shut down like that? Well, I think it's for a couple reasons. One is I think that we're afraid of retaliation. If I say, you shouldn't do that, I'm afraid that this person is going to say, and what are you going to do about it? Uh, nothing. I was just testing the water, you know. Have you ever been like that before? I remember in third grade, this is a crazy story, but uh, I was, we had these little things outside the doors of our elementary school where you get the mud off your feet. And I was over there cleaning my shoes, getting ready to go in after recess. And for whatever reason, there was a boy there who was a fourth grader. I was a third grader. And, uh, you know, I'm bigger than he was. And for some reason, probably because I had three mean brothers, I, I, like, pushed him or something. I said, get out of here. And the dude muscled up, and he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I'm going to keep cleaning my shoes. <laughs> you know. And then I went inside like a, like a beat rat. Um. But that Jezebel spirit is a spirit that, that um, makes us fearful. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And it says that when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant. The Jezebel spirit not only will invoke fear in you or elicit fear in you, but also it will... Um, it will provoke you to go into isolation in order to hide from that spirit. It says that he told his, his servant to stay there while he goes a day's journey further into the desert. And when he came to a broom tree, he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Interesting. When we isolate ourselves, we make ourselves very susceptible to continual depression or new levels of depression it's different from being in solitude. Jesus went into solitude to pray, to spend time with God. But isolation is when you go somewhere to spend time with you. And unfortunately, you do not have the capacity to reverse your own trends. You do not have the capacity to lift your own spirit. God does that. So we go to the solitude and we let God medicinally lift us up. But if you go into isolation, you will only get worse. And that's what happens with people with depression. They isolate themselves and they just keep dwelling on how bad they have it. And this is what Elijah did because of his fear. But not only that, but you see what he says there. He said he sat down under a, a broom tree and prayed that he might die. Did you know that... Um, Biblically speaking, that there's a lot of men of God, prophets of God, who had suicidal thoughts. 
Did you know that? Moses said something to this effect. He said to God, if you really love me, if you like me, would you please just kill me? Has anybody ever said words like that or have thought words like that? Would you please just let me go? Uh, Jeremiah said, cursed is the day I was born. And even the man who came and announced my birth to my father, he should be cursed. And so Jeremiah cursed everybody that was even remotely connected to the day he was born. Because at that point in his life, he hated himself so badly. Jonah even said, I wish you would have let me die. Because that would have been better than God calling him to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel. It's just amazing how many times in scriptures people wanted to die and how many times I've wanted to be dead myself. Many times I thought, you know what, this ministry stuff is for the birds. Why don't you just call it even? I've served you for some odd years. Why don't you just call it even and let me go? But God's like, nope, not done with you yet, brother. But that's what Elijah did. He says in this verse here in verse 4, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. That's what isolation will do to you. That's what fear will do to you. It'll make you isolated to the point that you don't want to live anymore. The other thing which is kind of implicit through there is it says in verse 5, He lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. Remember, he went another day's journey into the desert, which nobody would do in their right mind, but he did anyway after he dismissed his servant. He had already run from Mount Carmel to Judah, which was about 19 miles, and now he walks another mile into the desert away from his servant, and he lays down under a tree and he falls asleep, completely and totally exhausted. It even says that an angel Lord came and cooked for him. This is not mine, but said that he actually made the very first angel food cake ever. Yeah. And it was medicinal to his soul. Angel food cake can go a long way, but it can't lift you completely out of your your depression. It says that he ate and he drank and then he laid down and he went to sleep a second time. In other words, Elijah was completely and totally exhausted. That's what the Spirit will do to you, the Spirit of Jezebel. It'll, it'll scare you to death. It'll make you uh, suicidal. It will make you isolate yourself, and it will exhaust you. And I, I don't know about other preachers. I mean, well, yeah, I guess I do because we've talked about it. Every preacher I know, when they go home after church on Sunday, they crash because they are completely exhausted. Not because you all are demonic, but because there is a spiritual warfare going on, as Ephesians 6 says, and we get tired of fighting this, and when we go home, we collapse because, you know, we just need to take a breather. And I tell you, back in the day, when we did church twice a day, oh my gosh, that's why every preacher known to man in eastern Kentucky took Mondays off, because we were dead. We were not worth shooting on at that time. Exhaustion. So here's, here's a test for you. Uh, have you ever gone on a trip and when you went away on vacation that you slept the whole time? Better than you ever slept before because when you were home, you were stressed out. Happens to me all the time. I don't know about you. I've been even known to stand, uh, to sleep standing up or driving, which is not anything I encourage. But, um, 
There's just something. And, and here, this is a true story. I went to Israel one time and we were flying back, you know, and it was, I'm all perky. Everything's great. And, and then all of a sudden the pilot says, we are now starting our descent into Peoria. And when he said that, I started having anxiety attacks and could not sleep for like two days because I was so worked up over what was waiting for me there. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Exhaustion is crazy. The fear is crazy. But Jezebel was very persistent. We know that God went and found him in the cave and that everything was fine after that. But let's go back to Revelation for a minute. The spirit of Jezebel, you tolerate. You allow it to coexist in your church in your families, in your relationships. You allow yourself to be controlled by other people. And here's what I found. I've studied throughout Genesis. Never, ever, ever is is one person supposed to control another person. It just doesn't happen. Even as an employer, you are not supposed to control your employees. You hire them. You let them work. If you don't like the way they work, you fire them, but you never control them. In marriage, you don't ever try to control your wife. and wives, you don't try to control your husbands. But the husbands that allow their wives to control them, that's not healthy. You're setting yourself up for a disaster. You can't let that. You have to rise up and rebuke the spirit and say, no. I love you too much to let you control me. I'm not going to let you do that. Wives, you need to do the same. Rebuking your husband, you are not going to control me. If I don't want to cook dinner tonight, don't make me. Because you might not like what I put in it. Right? But, we, but yet, I know people that do this. We feel like it's our right. It's our culture. I'm going to control my spouse. They're going to control me or whatever it is. But even in your relationships, you don't allow people to control you. Now, what the context is revealing is, is that in the church, whoever the leadership is, is we do not control the people. Pastors do not control. Elders, deacons do not control. And church people do not control. So why do we keep doing it? Because there is a spirit at work in the church and nobody has the guts to stand up to the spirit and say, I rebuke you in Jesus name. You are not going to control me. But this is what the church was doing because everybody said, well, I just love everybody and I just want everybody to be happy. I wish everybody would just get along with each other. Why can't everybody just get along with everybody? And, uh, you know, there have been times I have been um, exhausted after meetings. There's been times I've been irritated before meetings, irritated throughout meetings. And it shouldn't be that way. And, and, uh, you know, as a person, as a pastor, God is telling me that part of my maturity is that I have to learn to rebuke that spirit when it comes up against me. But I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and God has a very long line of discipline that will occur if, if I continue to resist that. Because here's the thing. Let's say, for example, that I'm married and I have a wife who's very controlling of me and, 
And, and I just let her do it. Well, here's the thing is she's not just controlling me. She's also controlling the children. And she's shaping them for the rest of their lives. She's creating depression and anxiety in them that will be with them for 40 and 50, 60, 70 years, perhaps, have never dealt with. If I don't do anything, it's going to affect other people. I can't let that happen. I have to fight for the kids of nothing else. You know, if, if, if I want to lay myself on the chopping block, fine, but I have to at least protect the kids, right? We all have to do this, but we're like, mm, I just don't want to, I don't want to do that. And in 2 Timothy, the scriptures say, uh, Paul says to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. So pull yourself together and be an adult and do what has to be done. Remember, it's not the person, it's the spirit in the person or the spirit behind the person. But we have to learn how to say, you know what, this is unacceptable. You cannot act like this. You cannot make these decisions. You cannot control these people. You have to Calm down and let this happen the right way. And you know, it's, you, you, you look at lists of how many churches close every year and you think, I wonder if any of them could have been avoided. If people would have just stood up and said, no, we're not going to do this. Let's take a vote. You're not going to make this decision. Let's take a vote. You're not going to tell us what we're going to study or not study. Let's take a vote. Now, in some cases, there is not democracy in the church. It's trickle-down theocracy. God says to the leaders, this is what I want done. He highlights it in scriptures and prayer through the counsel of other godly people. Through peace, God communicates his agenda, and we're supposed to take that. So not everything is democracy or democratic, but at the same time, there is some common decency that takes place at certain levels. What he's addressing is when the spirit of Jezebel that causes affliction and depression and anxiety and, and, and fear in people, that somebody needs to stand up to that. I've known a lot of Christian people that were good, loving, fun, Christ-centered people, but they had absolutely no backbone at all. No backbone at all. So when, 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 uh, when, when Joe Brown stands up and says, well, this is what we're going to do, everyone else says, whatever you say. I, I, this is what I think we ought to do. Next time you're in a situation that happens, just say, whatever you say, Jezebel. <laughs> because basically that's what's happening. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. And when there comes a day when we have to start exercising that. This is obviously a major issue in the church. A major issue. Something that had to be dealt with. But here's the other thing. The discipline comes to those who go to bed with her. Who practice the same sexual immorality that she's teaching. So those who embrace the teaching of the Spirit are going to be disciplined also. So those who go along with it and just allow it to happen, who participate, are going to be disciplined. It says, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, 
I will not impose on any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. And to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. So it's our choice. Do we fight the Spirit? Or do we let it do whatever it wants? I I just want to encourage all of us as Christians that we cannot tolerate the Spirit of Jezebel. We cannot be scared to death and out of our fear, afraid to make decisions. There have been many times in my life that God has said, okay, I want you to preach this Sunday morning. I'm like, uh-uh, that ain't going to fly. I'm not going to talk about homosexuality. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk about forgiveness on the heels of a murder in the church. I'm not going to talk about these things. And you know what? I end up talking about them anyway because God won't let me sleep until I do. But there have been many times I say, oh, no, God, if I do this, people will be mad. If I do this, people will walk out. If I do this, people will withdraw their membership. And, and God's like, you know, what point are you going to stand up and be the man of God I called you to be? We all have these crossroads. We all have these crossroads. I'm just embarrassed to say it's taken me 54 years before I've recognized it. Now, I'll tell you this, up until the last couple years, I didn't even know that this was a spiritual thing. I would just naturally assume that if if Lisa said something ugly to me, it's because Lisa's an ugly person. And I'd say, hey, you're out of here. Get out. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. But when I came to grips with the fact that there's a spirit speaking through her, a spirit who hates me, then I'm like, you know what? Lisa, I love you to death, but girl, we need to talk about that spirit. (laughs) But here's a perfect example. Jesus was on the cross, and the, the thieves were down there gambling over his clothes, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. It wasn't the people that were offending Jesus. It was the spirit in them, the greed and, and the, the degradation and the rudeness of what they were doing and when they were doing it, and he was able to see past the personhood and say, forgive them, Father. The spirit I'll deal with in a couple hours. But for now, forgive these men because they don't know what they're doing. And I encourage this. In every situation, love the person, hate the sin. Love the person, hate the sin. If you're still struggling to love the person, then you better tap into the Holy Spirit because he will give you the strength to do it. But you must forgive everybody with his help. But you have to love the person, but you can hate the sin all day long. With this, I think we better close because I'm out of breath. Father, thank you for loving us. We thank you for these simple lessons. I just pray that you'll help us to understand how we fit into this, where we fit in, and how, what it is you're calling us to be or to do. Lord, help us to get to the level of spiritual maturity. The church needs it. The world needs it. I need it. Lord, forgive me of when I've sinned in this area. I repent. I pray that you will accept the repentance of all of us, Lord, who have not lived out our Christian faith the way that you've called us to. We've been too passive. We've been too wimpy. Lord, today's the day we start making a stand for the kingdom of God. Help us to have the strength with your help to stand up when things aren't going right. We thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing. 
If anybody wants prayer, come hither.